continue our sermon series over the essentials, establishing a firm foundation. Exodus chapter 20 this morning, we're going to read two scripture passages to get us started. Exodus chapter 20 is our first one. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. Exodus 20, beginning with the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I invite you now to turn to 1 John in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, almost the final book of the Bible. Getting that back to the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. The letters of John are located right before the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The word of the Lord, let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the picture that you've given to us of yourself in your word. And we ask now, O Lord, that you'd send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding and application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure everybody in here at some point has been involved in a frantic search. That frantic search where you get excited, you're running around the house wondering, where are you going to find it at? You're looking everywhere, even the refrigerator. Now today I'm giving away a prize. You have free lunch today at my house if you can tell me what I'm looking for in the refrigerator. What am I looking for in the refrigerator? Whoa, whoa, slow down. What was that? No, not Mountain Dew. What? Whoa. No. <laughs> what? Oh, that's good. That's good. Car keys. No. No, pacifier looked there at one time or two. What? The remote control for the television. The ultimate search, right? If the ultimate search is on, the panic is on because what? Well, if you're like me and you just got the little antenna to the television, so you got the antenna in the back of the television, and if you want to move the antenna to get a channel in better, I know most of you don't experience this thing, but you move the antenna a little bit, you want to get a better channel, the only way to reset the television is with what? The remote. It's got the only button on it that allows it to search for the new channels. And every once in a while, there's a frantic search throughout the house looking for the remote. Where's the last place you would look for the remote? Refrigerator. I mean, who goes to the refrigerator to find a remote? But it happened one time when I was little, same type of deal at home. Dad was in a frantic search for the remote, not happy about it. Where was the remote found? In the freezer. I think there was a little blame placed on mom in that situation. 
But the frantic search, maybe it's for your car keys, maybe it's for your cell phone. Now, I know this morning that none of you probably have experienced the frantic search for yourself. You're always in the frantic search for your spouse. But you've experienced the frantic search, looking for that one thing, because that one thing is what? What you need to move on. I I can't do anything until I find that remote. The car key search. I'm sure all of you have been through this. Every jacket, every pair of pants, go down to the washing machine, now to the dryer, now the drawer. Because what? You can't go anywhere until you find the car keys. This frantic search, this frantic pursuit of looking for that one thing is actually a good picture of what our lives look like. All of us are in a frantic search, a frantic pursuit for life. Everybody here, this last week, You've been in a frantic pursuit for the good life, for life that has meaning, for life that has purpose, for life that has peace, joy, whatever kind of phrase you want to use. But every human being is in a frantic search for the good life. And you can see this in our lives. We're in the search where all of a sudden we find something and what happens? We give our all to it, right? I mean, how often does this happen with the exercising thing? A couple of times I bought this book one time called The uh, Business, The Corporate Athlete. And this book was supposed to get you in athletic shape, not for future athletic events, but it was supposed to get you in shape because you'd then become more productive. It would put your body in the ultimate position to, to just be a machine. And I thought, I need this. And if I have this, I've got it all. So what happens? I picked up the book and for a little while, what do I do? I give that system all my allegiance. I, everything in that book, what do I, I eat it up. If the book says seven ounces of water at 10 a.m., what do I do? Seven ounces of water at 10 a.m. You give yourself fully to it. All of us have done this in one way or another at some point in our life because we're in frantic pursuit, frantic search for the good life. Well, what is the good life? What is the life we've been created to live? We see in Exodus chapter 20 today, the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And today we just looked at the first commandment, says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God is saying, I should be your God. I should be your God, is what God is saying in that first commandment. And then we read in 1 John chapter 5, one verse, one little sentence at the end of a letter where it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Or in other words, God is basically saying, let me be God. Let me be God is basically what God is saying at the end of 1 John. Because the life we are created to live is a life where only God receives trust, allegiance, and adoration. The non-negotiable for today and actually the non-negotiable for the next three weeks, we're going to camp here for a while, is that God alone should receive our trust, allegiance, and adoration. God alone should receive our trust, allegiance, and adoration. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. When they ask Jesus, Jesus, sum up all of the commands. What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is it. The greatest command. This is what we were created to do, was to give God alone our trust, our allegiance, and our adoration. Our problem is this. In the midst of our prance, frantic search, our frantic pursuit for the good life, we've given our trust, 
our allegiance and our adoration to someone or something else besides God. Therefore, the greatest danger to you and I today is idolatry. If the good life is having God, the God of our life, if that's the good life where God is God, then the greatest challenge for us, the greatest obstacle is idolatry, that we would put something else or someone else in the place of God. You and I probably don't think about idolatry very often. If you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that's basically the theme of the whole Old Testament. Idolatry. Idols. And then we get this little phrase in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, we don't have any images. We don't have any big statues in Sioux Falls. I didn't drive any, by any big wood monuments on my way here this morning. I didn't drive by any big stone statues or marble statues where people were gathered around and bowing. Well, does that mean that 1 John 5.21 doesn't apply to us? We have to understand what an idol is. So what is idolatry? Idolatry in the simplest of sense is someone or something in the place of God. Someone or something in the place of God. In other words, that person or thing is receiving your trust, your allegiance, and your adoration. Idolatry is more than just a mess up of the priority list. If I asked you this morning, at some point in your life, has your priorities been out of whack? I think everybody would agree that at some point in their life, your priorities have, have been out of whack, at least a little bit. Idolatry is actually more than just a priority list that's in the wrong order. Idolatry is, is placing something in the place of God and expecting in return that which only God can give placing something or someone in the place of God and expecting in return that which only God can give. Meaning in life, peace, joy, contentment. So idolatry isn't just, flipping a prior, isn't just putting work before family or putting golf before work. That, that, that's, idolatry is much more than that. A priority list that's out of whack is a result of idolatry. A priority list is set by that which is in the place of your God. That's what, that what sets your priority list. That's why I, whenever people ask me about priority lists, I never say God. That doesn't deserve to I just should rephrase. God shouldn't be on a priority list. Really? You're going to put the creator of the universe on a priority list. He created the priority list. He owns the priority list. A priority list is a human mechanism or a human tool. So really, when someone asks you what your priorities are, they should hear at that moment how God is directing your priorities. So maybe your priorities at that moment are church, work, family, whatever. Maybe your priorities at that moment are family, church, work. They may flip-flop back and forth all the time because in that season of life, God may be doing something that's elevating something else to be a priority. Idolatry is way beyond a priority list. God doesn't need spot one on your priority list. God needs to set your priority list. God needs to direct the way you interact with your priority list. Idolatry is placing something before God and expecting to get from that or that person the only thing that God can give. Idolatry is basically 
going to the refrigerator looking for a remote. I'm going to the refrigerator expecting to get something that what? I should only find next to the television. In our frantic search in this life, what do we do? We go out and we look for things that only God can give from things in this world. So we look, that's idolatry, placing something in the place of God and expecting something from it that only God can give. Idolatry. I think we could all agree that it's alive and active in my own heart today, in your heart today, in our culture as a whole. We're constantly putting things in the place of God, expecting to get something from it that only God can give. And here's the weird thing. Everything that we're pretty much putting in the place of God is what? A good thing. The problem is this. We're making it something it wasn't ever intended to be. So for example, work is a good thing. You were created to work. We should encourage work in our culture. We should break this, this laziness. We should encourage work. We should demand work. Work is a good thing. But work becomes a bad thing when it's no longer work. And it's God when you live for work. And work determines everything about you, your worth. When work is the source of your joy or your contentment. Work is what? Just work. Nothing more. Music. Music is a great thing. I mean, I, for me personally, I'd be fine if we showed up and sang a song with no instruments and got right into the sermon. Thing. I listen to NPR radio, talk radio, sports radio. I'm not a music person. But music is a, is a good thing, I think most people here would say, right? You enjoy music. Music is a good thing. Well, what is music? Music. Music wasn't created to be God. It was created to simply be for your enjoyment. It's a gift from God. The problem is, and we, when we make music, God. When music determines when we're happy. When music determines if we have contentment. If music determines what we do. Music was created to be music. Actually, everything was created to simply be a created thing, not the creator. And the problem is when we take a created thing and put it in the place of the creator. And idolatry is really difficult because turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 2. And you get a really good, important insight here about idolatry because maybe you're saying right now, well, I'm right here. I'm at worship on Sunday morning. I'm not living in idolatry. I'm actually in a Bible study every week. I'm giving faithfully to the church. How can you say I'm struggling with idolatry? Idolatry is sneaky. Because in Jeremiah chapter 2, what we read earlier, what we see is that God is getting after his people here, right? And so the people have come, and look with me if you would, down to verse 13. God basically says to the people, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is extremely important. God is making this indictment upon the people. But if you would have went and looked at the outward lives of these people, what would you have seen? Religion. They had a place to gather for worship. They were bringing in some of their harvested crop every year. They were gathering at the temple during the different festivities during the year, making sacrifices. They were 
going through the motions. But here's the problem. They were no longer looking to God for their living water. In other words, they were no longer looking to God for their protection, for their peace, for their hope, for their joy. But what were they doing? It says they hewed out cisterns for themselves, which means they were just looking in other places for the living water, for life. So their life appeared religious, yet God still has a serious indictment against them. You're looking in these other things for your life. They were looking at other things to give them protection. We read earlier, he says earlier in the chapter, Jeremiah chapter 2, hey, did you forget who brought you out of Egypt? So God is basically saying to the people of God, hey, I brought you out of slavery. I protected you. I took you through a river, a sea. And I protected you from all those chariots. And now you're out here and you're saying, I'm going to look to someone else for my protection. Yet they looked religious. However, they were going through the motions, not looking to God to be the source of life, protection, peace, and contentment. You can go through all the motions, but still living in idolatry. Because that thing or that person is what you're banking on to give you purpose. Basically, you can finish this sentence to find out what your idol is. Life only has meaning if... Life only has meaning if... However you finish that sentence, that's your idol. Or, I only have worth if... I only have worth if I get that promotion at work. I only have worth if so-and-so will spend time with me. I only have worth if we can retire at such and such age. That's your idol. That's what's giving you only what God can give. Peace, contentment, joy, the good life. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, has done a lot of writing on idolatry and has had a lot of success speaking to the up-and-coming culture about sin, but using the language of idolatry. And he spent a lot of time flushing out the idols of our age. And I just want to share a couple of them with you this morning. Because maybe you're this morning, and again, are like, I don't know what is taking the place of God. Let me just share with you a couple of things that, that he writes about. First, he writes about power idolatry. Basically, I have power and influence over others. That's what I want. That's what I spend my time going after. And I need that to feel good about myself. Your idol is power. This is a big one. Approval idolatry. I am loved and respected by blank. So what do you do? You do everything you can to get other people's approval. So if, you, if approval is your idol, what's your greatest fear? Rejection. If right now your greatest fear is rejection, your idol is approval. Everything you do in life right now is to get that approval of someone else because you need them to like you in order for you to feel good about yourself. How about the helping idolatry? Most of us probably don't think about this. People are dependent upon me and need me. We like to be needed and we need to be needed in order to feel good about ourselves. Helping is your idol. You need to be needed in order to feel worth. If you don't get asked, you can't, oh man, I just must, must be bad. Helping's your idol. 
How about the work idol? I am highly productive and getting a lot done. If you only feel good about yourself, if you only experience peace and contentment when you're getting a lot done and you're highly productive, you have the work idol. How about the achievement idolatry? I am being recognized for my accomplishments and I am excelling in my work. That you have this sense of contentment and joy when you're recognized by others and and you want to do bigger things. Why? Because that recognition and that accomplishment brings you this sense of contentment and joy. Here's the thing. All of those things, at one point or another, are going to crash. Because there's only so many promotions you can get. There's only so much money you can make. There's only so many people you can get to like you without having to forfeit everything about yourself. All of those things are going to crash at some point. I just want to spend a moment on possibly the greatest idol in our city today. That's the idol of athletics. And I know I'm t- stepping on dangerous ground here this morning. Thing, right? I'm stepping on my own heart this morning. But hear me out a second. Athletics has become the idol of Sioux Falls. Everything in Sioux Falls revolves around athletics. Everybody's schedule. For proof, just look at this. Look at everybody's calendar and everybody's checkbook. Look at the city's calendar and the city's checkbook. Where does the majority of funds go? Athletics. What drives the news cycle? Athletics. What drives conversation at lunch and supper? Athletics. Athletics were created to be what? Athletics were created to be what? Athletics. Athletics were created to be athletics. Athletics were not created to be God. Look, listen for me a second of the damage we're doing to our children. And some of you are going to think I'm being absolutely ridiculous right now. All of our schedules revolve around what? Our children's activity schedule. So what do we do? We do everything and anything to adjust our schedule to what? Get to our child's activity. Is it good to attend some of your children's events? Absolutely. Don't hear me say it. Forget about it. Hear me say this this morning, though. Your schedule should not revolve around that schedule. It's actually in the best interest of your child if you don't show up for every event. And this is extremely unpopular. They're not, nobody's going to sell a book about this. What, listen for a second. If you show up at every event of your child and your child is used to you, what? Hey, there's a tournament in Omaha. Let's go there. So what do you do? Oh, let's go to Omaha for the tournament. Your child is never said no to. Then the child gets into the workplace after college. What's the child going to expect? Everything revolves around me. Why am I not getting that promotion? I'm asking for it. What do you mean we can't have four-day work weeks? I grew up getting anything and everything that I wanted. We, we build our children with this mindset that everything revolves around them. What we have to do is have a conversation with our children, our grandchildren, culture as a whole that says, all of this stuff that you're involved in is fabulous and great. And, but it shouldn't control our lives. Rather, we should participate when we can participate and enjoy it when we participate and not make everything about winning and losing, but rather 
simply enjoying it for what it is. This, most of you are not going to respond well this morning. Most of you are saying, no, this, athletics is not a problem thing. It's a serious problem. Serious problem. The NFL was about to go into a lockout a couple of years ago. Politicians stepped in. City leaders stepped in. Why? Why was there an all-out fight to stop the NFL from going to a lockout? Because the American economy is greatly dependent upon the NFL. Every local downtown, every local bar on Sunday afternoon, Saturday night, is dependent upon what? Football traffic. And if the NFL collapses, what happens? The economy takes a major hit. Look at our pocketbook. That's what shows where we're looking for our enjoyment, where we're looking for our peace, what's controlling our schedules, what's controlling our lives. Now, I'm not saying, again, to avoid every activity that your child's involved in. All I'm saying is that once in a while, it's actually a very healthy thing to say to them, hey, I'm unable to attend your game tonight because I'm part of who knows what. I'm part of the Lions Club, and the Lions Club is handing out pancakes at the banquet. And it's important that we're involved in serving other people as a family. So that's why I'm not at your game tonight. We need to make those types of decisions regularly for our children and with our children. And they might, again, they're not going to respond, oh, I understand, Mom and Dad. It's okay that we don't go to that tournament. No, because what? All of their friends are doing it. So it's going to be unpopular. It's going to be going against the grain. It's going to be going upstream but we're doing the very thing we were created to do. That's putting created things in the place of being created things rather than controlling things. Our greatest challenge is this, taking created things and putting them in the place of the Creator. I know about myself this morning that I've got different things that tug on me, that, that, give, that I look to to give me purpose, and I look to to give me satisfaction, work, productivity, recognition. And I know you this morning also have some things that you look to that give you contentment and joy and recognition. But we are created to find that alone in God because we are created to give God our trust, our allegiance, and our adoration. So what's our practical application today? Our practical application is quite simple. Two things. First is this. Identify the specific idol in your life. Identify a specific idol in your life. Is it approval? Is it power? Is it work? Is it money? Spend some time. What drives you? After you identify that idol, which most of us could probably do, now the second step, which is the more difficult step, tell someone about the identified idol. It does you no good to identify the idol and not tell someone. Because what? Well, if I identify it, it's really easy to hide if I don't tell someone. It's really easy to try and get through it on my own, which you won't end up doing. You need to identify the idol. You need to tell someone else about it. We are created to live in community with one another. That other person's got just as many idols as you do. Not a big deal. We need to find someone else and tell them about your idol so you can work through it together in community. This morning you might be hearing one message, and that is, I need to get rid of my idols. Stop having idols. That is, that is the message. That's actually the secondary message that flows from the primary message. The primary message is this. God is your God. 
Look with me one final, just a moment. Let's look here at 1 John chapter 5 and Exodus 20. I want you to notice the similarity in something. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 2. This is right before God gives the Ten Commandments. What does he say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right before the Ten Commandments, notice God does not say, hey everyone, here's the list of rules, obey them. The very first thing God does is he does what? He reminds them who is God. Now look with me at 1 John chapter 5. Right before the verse we read today, it says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then the verse we read follows right after that says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense for the first commandment to be, you shall have no other gods before me after God has made this pronouncement that he is God. It makes sense for God's word to say, dear children, keep yourselves from idols when God has just said, he is the true God in the source of eternal life. The pronouncement this morning is not keep yourselves from idols. The pronouncement this morning is let God be God. God has claimed you to be his child. Now the question is, are you going to allow him to function as God. God is your God, and we see that at the cross. And today we celebrate communion. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth and bought you. He purchased you. And so that's why we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul writes that we should gather regularly and tells us that when Jesus gathered with his disciples, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of the world. Do this in remembrance of me. As we gather at the communion table today, we're reminded that we are bought and purchased by God. God owns us. He wants to be your God today. God wants to be your master today. And that's the good life. Today, the frantic pursuit, the frantic search ends when we come to the cross and experience the forgiveness of sins and we allow God to be our God. We allow God to function as our King. This morning, as you come forward, you have an opportunity to receive the bread, Christ's body, and he's received the bread, you'll dip that into the, to the wine, Christ's blood. And as you do that this morning, you're receiving the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus is saying, I own you. You are mine. You are God's child. Now we must go forth and let God be God, rather than seeking out idols. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you acknowledging this morning that we have oftentimes strayed from you. We have placed things and people in your place, expecting only that which you can give. God, this morning we acknowledge to you the idols in our hearts. I acknowledge to you the idol of work, the idol of recognition. God, at this time we each individually acknowledge to you our idols.
God, we ask now that through this body and bread, bread and wine, that you, O Lord, would restore us to relationship with you, that you would forgive us and renew us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us to live as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.